0: Daniel chapter number one, if you find it to be just a little chilly in here, we'll turn the temperature down a little more. Daniel chapter one, And I'd like to read one verse of scripture, verse number eight, the title of the lesson this evening is Determined determined. Daniel 1 verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Determined. You know, if you've ever taken the time to read this book, then you know in the beginning parts, the children of Israel that are mentioned here were captives. Usually, when you read about Babylon in the Old Testament, it usually has some kind of negative connotation or context. The problem was the Babylonian people had a different culture, different customs, different gods, different habits, and these did not mesh very well with the culture of the Jews who had one God. But when Babylon came against Israel, it was because of Israel's rebellion. God told us at the end of Second Chronicles that the reason that Nebuchadnezzar was brought there against them was because they didn't honor the Sabbaths. God sent one prophet after another to Israel. They rejected the prophets, many times persecuted the prophets, the Lord said you'll go away as captives so Daniel is one of those captives and he has several brethren the thing that interests me in this is that despite the fact that he was in Babylon he did everything possible to keep Babylon from really getting into him he didn't like the culture he wasn't interested in their deities at all But the king needed some servants and some people to work for him and he wanted foreigners to be involved with this whole process. So he told his prince over these eunuchs, he said, I want you to take some of these Israeli men, train them in the Chaldean language. I want them to learn our technology and they're going to serve me. So verse number Ford tells us that Daniel and his brethren were well-favored, skillful in wisdom, and cunning in knowledge and understanding science. They likely had mathematical minds. The Chaldeans pioneered the study of astrology and astronomy. No doubt they were going to be involved with learning some of this and propagating some of this and explaining what's taking place in this world on the basis of some of that. But the one thing that Daniel did not want to be involved with was the eating of the food that the king's diet consisted of. It could have been because some of these meats and drinks were dedicated to God's. Whatever it was, Daniel knew he didn't want to have anything to do with it. Could have been camel meat, could have been some other kind of drink that wasn't good. And he said to the the overseer, he said, look, rather than allow us or force us to eat this? Would you be so kind as to allow us to have our own diet and we'll just eat some vegetables and stuff? And the man said, absolutely not. The king will have my head if I let you do that. He said, well, let's put it to a test. You let us eat what we want and then you serve everybody the king's diet. And at the end of the trial, if our flesh is still fat and our health is robust and we've got vitality then you understand that we're good and your neck has been saved and so he said okay and the scripture said Daniel had favor with this particular man but Daniel purposed in his heart according to verse eight and that's what that's what I find interesting he had a made-up mind he was determined that he was not going to compromise his values or his virtues And he was determined to stick to it even in Babylon when everybody else around him had no problem at all succumbing to the culture. So he was determined to do two things. Number one, to remain holy. Number two, not to be defiled. What does it mean to be holy? To be separate, to be sanctified, to be set apart, to disassociate yourself from those things that you know are not good. And the only way he could know that there were foods that would defile him, he had to understand the word of God well enough to know what God did not approve of. And once you know the things that God doesn't approve of, you have to go out of your way to preserve your lifestyle, your character, your testimony, in order that you might remain holy. So even Paul says in the New Testament for the believer, flee sanctification, excuse me, flee fornication for this is your sanctification. So if we avoid those things that are sinful, then we're able to maintain our separate status and our holiness. At the same time, he had determined that he would not defile himself, even when other people in the culture did not see anything wrong with the king's diet. Remember, this meat and this drink was something that the king delighted in but it was something that daniel frowned upon so just because you are surrounded by people who say this is okay this is fine you have to know what god says and you have to stand where god says scripture makes it very plain that in israel's ancient times when people didn't have a king every man did what was right in his own eyes The Bible says there would come a day, and it did come a day several times in Israel where they called evil good and good evil. So the believer, we have to know that just like Daniel, we are in this world, but we're not of this world. We're born of the kingdom of God. We've been born again by the spirit of God. We've been brought from darkness into light. So we have a totally different culture. The rest of our life, we're going to give it to renewing our mind with the word of God. So like Daniel at this time, we're like Daniel in the last days. We're doing whatever we can to remain holy and to keep ourselves from being defiled. How do I do that? Purpose in your heart. Now, what is purpose? Purpose is an an inward motivation, some kind of an internal stimulus that leads you to believe that you don't have to change regardless of what everybody else is doing. The preparation needs to be made because you're thinking about something that's even greater. That's what Daniel said. And Daniel thought about this. He, He said, there's no way on this earth I'm going to get in trouble with God by trying to make the king smile. And even if the king's smile is upside down, I'm going to do whatever I can to keep from grieving the spirit of God. If I have to turn down the king's plate, that's exactly what I'll do. And he did it. So what would you do if you're surrounded by people on your job or people that are your neighbors that approve of things that, you know, God disapproves of? Are you going to be like Daniel and be determined? to remain true to what God's word says, or are you going to fold up like a cheap tin in a storm? Your values and virtues are just going to blow away and you're going to compromise what you believe because you don't want to have to deal with the adverse circumstances and the pressure. There are a whole lot of people last election, and I'm sure to be the same way this election, who would never open their mouth and let anybody know They actually had voted for the current president, but there obviously had to be a whole lot of people that believed in him, even though you couldn't get them to say it with a microphone under their nose on television, because he ended up winning more states than the other one. And it'll probably be the same now. There's there's such pressure on people to accept things that they don't want to accept that all around this nation, from the coastal cities, trying to move around the corners and edges of this nation, there's this push upon rural areas to accept beliefs that they refuse to accept. And somebody has to be strong enough like Daniel to say, we refuse to partake of the diet that you're placing before us. Somebody has to be strong in their faith, and it begins when you purpose in your heart. Now let's go to 1 John. That's at the end of the New Testament, just before the book of Revelation. You'll find all the little Johns there. Go to 1 John, look at chapter number 2, and we can get another aspect of daniel's life in ancient babylon but john was dealing with his own generation and we'll apply it to ours first john 2 verse 15 love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man loved the world the love of the father is not in him well in this letter the world is spoken of many times and every time it's spoken of it's in contrast to or juxtaposition to the believer and their world so the current society in which we live now just like in John's time was what we would call antichrist it's opposed to jesus christ it's opposed to his culture that's why there's rebellion on television every time the name of Jesus is mentioned people don't care if you pray in the name of God if they care at all they're going to get upset if you mention the name of Jesus so our chaplains today when they pray in the military they can pray in God's name but they'll start a war if they close it out within Jesus name same thing happens at our graduations now but there's a love for the world the trends the fads the various ideas that, that change every few years. Some people are inundated with it. They take it all in and they become inebriated with it and we're drunk on this culture of the world and some people don't even know how to return to a sober mind to think the thoughts of God. And this is why when we look around at our young people, we'll see somebody that has a stripe of hair that's red, the next to it will be something green, Then there'll be another stripe that'll be blue. And then they have all of these different colors. And then if you look even closer, then we've got 19 earrings all over our face. They're in our cheekbones. They're all in our tongue and our chin. All of this because there is a, a misunderstanding of who we should identify with. And so there's utter confusion in this nation and people have fallen in love with the world and they feel like I need to fit in or go along to get along. But folks, I'm telling you, when you have a relationship with the Lord, you find your esteem and you find your identity in him. Because when you're in Jesus Christ, he provides everything that you need. The scripture says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You don't need to look to Hollywood. You don't have to look to a model. You don't have to look to anybody else to determine what you ought to be or what you ought to look like. When you look in the mirror, you look exactly like what God wanted you to be. You ought to be pleased with that. So don't fall in love with the world. Well, the world understands that if they're going to sell all of their goods and hawk their wares on the commercials they've got to make everything interesting and attractive you, you know that don't you? yes 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 they do so if they're if they're selling blue jeans if they're selling a pogo stick i mean they're they're just going to have the cutest and handsomest person that you can that you can think of that's going to be involved with that because that television is powerful it really is. I mean, it's attractive. And there are some people watch a commercial and they say, oh, my goodness, I'm I'm headed to Popeye's right now. To get that brand new chicken sandwich. <laughs> I mean, goodness, if everybody's going there. I need to get there quick. Or well, even when I was a kid, I, I didn't see cornfields anywhere. But my older brothers and I, we sometimes, uh, you know, watching television or something, hee haw would come on. You know, we, we didn't know a whole lot about the country at all, go out and see grandma every now and then, but we didn't, we didn't live there. We lived in the concrete jungle, right in the city. But, but he Haw would come on sometime, and you, you remember how they'd show them scenes with the cornfields, and then, then, you know, they'd have the people singing and talking, and the beautiful blondes yeah. come up, and then they go back down and, and all of that. And my brothers and I, we'd sit there and think, oh my goodness, we, we need some corn like that here <laughs> in the, the state of Ohio. So, so you can see that the, the advertisement of that, I mean, it, it gives this, this desire to have that and to see that. And that's why the Lord says to us, don't love the world. Because there are things in this world that certainly are attractive. All of us would be lying if we didn't acknowledge that there are allurements in this world. He says the lust of the eyes. Pride of life, all of that is attracted to it. But notice, he says, the things that are in the world, because if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. The love of God can be in you, and then at a particular time begin to diminish when you begin to fall in love with the things of this world too much. Technology is a wonderful thing, and I'm I'm glad we have very creative people And people that come up with these witty inventions, I think it's nice that a grandma is able to take a telephone, look into the telephone, and on the other side of the world, see their grandkids. I just think that's a powerful thing. It's wonderful that you don't have to get up and drive to somebody's house to have a conversation with them. You can call them on the telephone, see how they're doing. And it's absolutely great that when you get in your car, when you're backing up, you've got a little screen there sometimes that even tells you there's something back there, and some of these cars now will even stop. if You decide you don't want to stop. They're going to make sure you don't go back there and bump into anything. So technology is wonderful. And think about all the, all the farmers like Trav and them. They can get out there at harvest time and everything's controlled by the GPS. And so the satellite is moving along. So, I mean, if, if Trav wants to, he can sit there in the, the, the little cab of the tractor there and he can sew and he can knit and <laughs> he can stitch whatever he wants to do. I mean, life is good. And and you watch the way this thing is going, I guarantee you pretty soon there'll be farmers that won't even have to get out in the field. They may be doing it now. They can just control it right there from their house with a little computer screen. And the thing will probably come out the barn on its own and go right on down there, do what it needs to do and come right back. You say, how do you know that? Because you see people, they have those vacuum cleaners that go all around the house when they're gone. So technology is powerful. But all technology isn't used for God. Some of it is used in an ungodly way. The same computer that will help you promote Jesus Christ will also help produce and promote false doctrines and false teaching. The same telephone that you use to call somebody to say, look, I was praying about, about your situation and I feel like God laid a scripture on my heart to give you. They can use that same telephone to call somebody and cuss them out. So all of technology can't is isn't used for, for godly things, but the one thing the Lord does say, the things of this world you should not be enamored with to the point that you're in love with it. There are people who are married to their telephone, and if you take it away, their world falls apart. There are young people who are teenagers. If you take away their phone, I'm telling you, they'll get into fisticuffs with their parents. They'll fight. You go to restaurants sometimes, and you'll see a couple look like they've maybe been married 40 years. They're sitting at a table, never ever say a word to each other or even look up at each other because everybody's looking down into that telephone. Now, they're not con- conversing at the table, but they're conversing on that telephone. There's something that, that's in all of this culture of ours that is causing the love of God to diminish in our life. That's why a lot of people today don't even know the Bible anymore. You go to church, they'll put the verses up on the screen. You don't need your Bible anymore. If you lose your, your, your Bible on your phone and your phone goes dead and somebody says turn to Second Chronicles, then you won't know where to go because you're so used to everything in the technology telling you exactly what you should do. And once the love of God begins to diminish in a person's life, they fall away from the Lord and they no longer are as determined as they once were. When you're determined, you made up in your mind that your relationship with God is what comes first, you make the decision, I'm not backing up because my spouse backs up. I'm going on with God. I'm advancing even if he or she goes in reverse. I'm not backsliding if somebody else turns away from God. There have been a lot of people through the years that, that I've pastored and I've seen come in the church, through the church and out the church. And some get angry at God because he won't do this or won't do that. But I have not ceased to get into the pulpit to preach or walked away from God. And you have to be the same way. Like Daniel, be determined. Be determined. Now, there are people who, as I said, the love of the father decreases. So let's look at one instance of this. A few pages before 1 John is 2 Timothy. Look at chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to what Paul says in verse number 6. I'm ready to be offered, the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. That's 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. That man determined in his mind when he got on the right path with God, he was not going back. He saw an eternal reward. He saw the blessing of God in front of him, and he made his mind up to press toward the mark of the prize. Are you that determined? Are you going to be consistent in your lifestyle so that you won't turn and go back and move away from God? If you're going to prevent that from happening, there are certain things you need to do. Number one, don't let the world crowd out God from your inside, don't let as we taught in the parable of the tares don't let the cares of this world and the anxieties of this world choke the seed so that it can't produce in your life this is what this gentleman did here a little bit later in verse 8 it says henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto all them also that love His appearing. Here's a man that loved the appearing of the Lord more than he loved the things of this world. And he's determined to not only be there, but he's going to be there amid a group of people that also love the Lord. And he's trying to create a group of people that love the Lord. And that's what we should be trying to do. We don't want to go to heaven alone. We want to take as many people as we can. We're not trying to just get there, you know, in an isolated way. We want everybody who who's around us to come. We don't want to lose a family member. We don't want to lose a neighbor. We want everybody to know about this wonderful savior. So somebody has to be determined. So he says in verse nine, do your diligence to come shortly unto me. He said, I need to see you. I need a visit. I need some comfort. Why, Paul? Why do you need this? Verse 10, because Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. That man said he forsook him. Mark tells us when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, it said all the disciples fled. All of them. I just want all of them. Yet Peter betrayed the Lord, denied the Lord three times, but All the disciples fled. One man took off running so fast that the man tried to reach out and grab him and he was trying to pull away so quick, he left his garment in the man's hand and the scripture says he ran away naked. You got to really want to get away if you leave your garment in somebody's hand. That's what he did. He was determined to leave. When you become determined to leave and you're determined to go and you're determined you're not going to walk with God, you're determined to leave the relationship, you're determined to leave the church, you're determined to leave your job, it's going to be very difficult for people to convince you otherwise. It's going to be hard to change your mind. Once you make up your mind, barring some supernatural event that comes into your life, you're probably going to pursue your own desires. People do it every day. Demas. He looked at Paul. He said, you know, I've been traveling with you now listening to you preach. I mean, you're really gifted. You preach the gospel. Marvelous things take place. Offerings come in. I'm enjoying all of this, but I miss some of the things I used to do. You know, your gift is in preaching. Your gift is is in traveling you've got a grace to do all of this stuff that you're doing but but i i feel like i have gifts and talents that are in other directions i mean after all i'm pretty agile and before i became a christian i was pretty good at line dancing won a few dance contests i'd like to maybe get out there one or two more times And I was a a pretty good impressionist, so I think I'd be a fairly good actor on the Greek and Roman stage. And if I could get into some of those plays that those Roman folks had put together, there's a very good chance I could make a substantial amount of money in contrast to just hoping that these offerings would come in and maybe you will share a little bit with me. I mean, look, if they're going to pay me six or seven hundred shekels and all I have to do... Is walk around and promenade on stage without a top on. I mean, 600 shekels, that's a pretty good amount of money there, Paul. And by the time he went through all of that and convinced himself of that, the scripture says he forsook Paul and he headed to Thessalonica. So that's the question you've got to ask yourself Is there a Thessalonica somewhere in your pathway that's enticing you? Is there some city, some person, some place? That is alluring to you. And when you think about your relationship with God, all you focus on is what you think you can't do, rather than realizing that Christians are the happiest people on the planet. There's no party like a Holy Ghost party, because the Holy Ghost party doesn't stop. So we walk with God. It's a it's it's a wonderful thing. I, I don't understand a boring Christian life. I have fun all the time. I'm in church every day. And for some people, that's too much. For me, it's not enough. The one thing my wife and I talk about constantly is we miss being in the big city where there's a revival going on nearly every night. You could go to any any church and find somebody preaching about God and you could kneel down and pray and you'd be able to witness to people and talk to folks about the king. But we've had to kind of create that for ourselves by having church here, having church there, having church here, having church there. But for other people. You folks are fanatics. Why do you have to be? Nobody needs to be in church as much as you folks are in church. I even told my mama one time, I, I said, you, you need to come on out here and visit us. She said, you, you guys still doing church five nights a week? <laughs> she said, I'm a Baptist. We don't do church five nights a week. See? Well, some, some people, you know, that's, that, that's too much for them. But Thessalonica is not enticing to me. What is there in your past, what is there in your background, in your B.C. days, that you still find attractive? What do you really miss? Do you miss waking up in the morning with a hangover? Do you miss that? Do you miss having to go from job to job because you couldn't be consistent with a job? Do you really miss... Being with someone, yelling and screaming and cussing and hollering in the morning, in the afternoon, at night. Do you miss driving around the block 15 times every evening because you don't want to go home? You really miss that? You miss waking up the next day, looking at the hole in the wall, wondering how it got there. Then looking at your fist and realizing you got bruises there. Do you really miss Smoking six packs of cigarettes a day? Aren't you glad to be able to save some money? Sometimes when we think about what we had, we almost look at it wistfully like it was so wonderful. But when we were in it, we were sitting there longing to be out of it. God, if you would only help me, I'd change my life. And then when he does, then we start looking at Thessalonica again, because we said, look, this gospel stuff, this stuff is too rigid. It's, it requires a disciplined life. The way seems too narrow and confining. I used to be on the broad way, and I was having the time of my life. But now, it seems like God's working on my character. He's changing this about me. He's changing that about me. You should praise God every day that you have a, a Christian spouse, a Christian family, or you know God. Yeah. Your life would be a mess without God. If you think it's bad now, without God, it'd be worse. I can promise you that. But knowing God, that's what makes the difference. So we're, we're planning for eternity by doing the things that we're doing. And that's what we should really be concerned about. Because it's an important thing. If you've ever seen any of those documentaries where people are trying to climb Mount Everest or something like that, then you know there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. And you watch how these people will try to raise all of this money because it's going to cost you no less than $75,000 just to be able to get there and try to do all the stuff you need to do. That's not even counting all the equipment you're going to need. But when you finally get to base camp and you're spending months and months there trying to get yourself acclimated and then trying to study the terrain, getting advice from other teachers and people that have gone up and then watching them carry other people down who've broken a leg or an arm, watching the rescue workers go up and bring somebody back with a helicopter because they died in the process of trying to get there. After you go through all of that, there are still people who despite everything they've seen, all the broken bones they've had to look at, and all the stories that they've heard, they are absolutely determined to go up that hill. That's why they've come from around the world. And sure enough, they start scaling that hill, and it's taking hours. Hours are becoming days. I mean, it's a long time trying to get up there. You've got to have food rations and everything. But you know what's amazing to me? People will prepare for months, raise thousands of dollars with investors, and then spend all of this time scaling this mountain to get to the top and stay there for anywhere from five to 20 minutes. No more, because that's about all they'll be able to stand. And then they start making their way all the way back down. Well, if some man or some woman can go through all of that for a 20-minute victory dance, don't you think we ought to prepare a little bit more for eternity? We're going to spend all of eternity with God. And so now is preparation time. Paul said, all those who love his appearing, one day the trumpet of God is going to sound. Dead in Christ, are going to rise. Folks, I'm telling you, it's wonderful to serve God. And when we get to heaven, we're going to realize this mountain didn't mean anything, nothing at all. Every tear you shed, every bone that was broken, you're going to rejoice because of every song we had to sing and praise the Lord. And you're going to be so happy when you get to do your victory dance on the other side. And nobody's going to be able to dance like you when you get there. Come on, let's stand tonight. How many of you determined to go to heaven? Folks, I'm determined to help you get there. I'm determined to help you get there. I'm determined to leave no one behind. That's how we said used to say it in the Marine Corps. No, leave no man behind. And if you feel like you're struggling, you need to have somebody to encourage you. But realize this we can't make you go anywhere. And we can't make you move forward. And it's impossible. To move forward quickly, carrying a whole lot of dead weight. Sometimes you're going to have to go ahead and move your legs yourself to get to where you're going. Because can't nobody live this pathway for you. But as you think about that, if you've been discouraged, get your eyes back on God. If you're facing discouragement and battling that, get your eyes back on God. Press towards the mark of the prize. Don't let anybody... Cause you to slow down. Scripture says, let us not forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is so much. The more we see the day approaching, let us assemble. That is to say that even in Paul's day, there were people who were saying, you know what? I got other things to do rather than be at church. I could be at the golf course. I could be on the boat, I could be doing this. I could be doing that. I mean, after all Reverend, you, you go to church on Sunday. I grilled. I lay around the house and I like to watch a good movie. I don't see why what you do is better than what I do. And I don't see why you harass me about what I do. Well, I'm not harassing anybody at all. I don't want you to think for one second that you're going to lose out and end up in hell just because you choose to walk away from the truth and live for God and live a carnal, secular life and don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just telling you I'm determined to follow a different path. Because I want to see him face to face. And if there's anything I want to hear, because people always say, when I get to heaven, I want to ask this. I want to ask that. I don't want to ask anything before I even begin a conversation. What I want to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Now I can ask some questions. Let me get in the house first. And I believe God will do that for all of us. Come on, let's lift our hands toward heaven. Heavenly Father, we're grateful you said in your word we lift our hearts with our hands. And so tonight our hands are up, extended to you, letting you know that our hearts are fully surrendered. If you look into any of our hearts tonight and you see anything other than a truly determined spirit, forgive us, God. Forgive us. for Every time we've mumbled, complained, forgive us, God. For those moments where we've had difficulties and yet we have inwardly accused you of being unrighteous or unfair. Forgive us. God help us stay on the path and walk with you knowing that at the end we're going to see you face to face. We love you, we honor you, and we praise you for the mighty anointing of God that's upon each of us as we live for you. In Jesus' name and everyone say it. Amen. 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 Amen.